so much. Young people can be dismissed at this time uh, to be uh, going to go to Children's Church if you'd like, and uh, appreciate those that teach on their level. The rest of us, if you would, turn to Philippians chapter two, the book of Philippians in the New Testament, chapter two. Alrighty, Lord's been good so far, even. Today, hasn't he? It's good to see each one of you here. The world loves harmony. Now, it does not know how it is attained on the most, uh, mostly, but it likes it. And I want to talk today about how humility is involved in harmony. We all like harmony. I think we all want to live in harmony. But it takes humility, and I want to talk today about this subject of humility. A truly humble man is very hard to find. Would you agree along with me there? Uh, Booker T. Washington, was a, was one, he's one of my most, uh, just one of my favorite guys in history. He was a well-known black educator, uh, and he's a great example of a very humble man. Uh, shortly after he became the president of Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, he was walking along the street one day, and a wealthy white woman, not knowing who he was, approached him and asked him if he'd like to get, earn a few dollars chopping wood. <laughs> and he didn't have any pressing business at the time, so he said sure, and he followed her home. And there is the president of Tuskegee uh, in, uh, Institute chopping wood for her. When he was done, he carried the logs into her house and stacked it by the fireplace. A little girl recognized who he was and revealed it to this lady, and she was absolutely horrified. The next morning, she goes into his office uh, thoroughly embarrassed, apologizing profusely. And this is what he said, It's perfectly all right, madam. I enjoy manual labor once in a while. Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. She uh, assured him of what his attitude meant to her. Not long afterwards, she got a whole bunch of her other wealthy friends together, and they donated thousands of dollars to this institute where Brother, uh, Mr. Washington worked. But we live in a, a world today saturated by pride. People are self-promoters. We're in a time of social media uh, where everybody promotes self. And nothing will destroy your spiritual life more and your effectiveness for God more than pride. Uh, becoming filled with self. God calls us to walk in humility. Yet so few people are humble in the world today even in our churches. Muhammad Ali made this statement, when you're as great as I am, it's hard to be humble. <laughs> he was uh, flying in a plane one day, and the stewardess came by and said, Mr. Ali, you need to put on your seatbelt. And he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And so she said, Superman don't need no plane either. Put on your seatbelt. Amen? <laughs> Prideful people. I'm talking this morning about humility. The Bible instructs us to allow the mind of Christ, and we're going to see in our text, that's the mind of humility, to be in us. This message today, I want to look at the characteristics of a person who walks in humility. Because what this world needs today, ladies and gentlemen, is some more great men with humility. There are very few of us left. The world needs more. Amen. That was a joke. All right, don't think I'm claiming that. Look at our text, Philippians chapter 2, verse number 1. The Bible says, 
uh, as we start out here, if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to become equal with God, uh, but made of himself no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself uh, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Today I want to talk to you just for a few moments on happy, humble harmony. Happy, humble harmony. Father, I pray you'd help us the next few minutes together here. May your words speak loudly in Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago, if you were here on a Wednesday night, Pastor DeFord came and, and spoke to us, and, and he talked out of the book of Philippians, different texts, but out of Philippians. And one of the things he mentioned that made me think was he said that, you know, for, we always look at the book of Philippians where the theme of Philippians, we say, is joy. Uh, the theme of the book is joy, and, and that's not necessarily wrong, but he says, I would like to propose to you that the theme of the book of Philippians is also humility. And uh, since then, I've noticed over and over things in Philippians that have to do with humility. Now, that doesn't mean that these are uh, warring against each other. You can't have joy without humility, and without humility, you won't have joy. And so, they work together. But I think it's interesting, Paul is writing this text and if you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, there's an interesting progression. In about A.D. 54, uh, Paul had been saved now just over 20 years, about 24 years. And uh, in A.D. 54, he wrote a book called 1 Corinthians. And in that book, in 1 Corinthians 15.9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles. A few years went by, about 61 A.D., and he wrote the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul said, for I am the least of all saints. A few years before, I am the least of the apostles. Now he says, I am the least of all the saints. And then a few more years go by, and in 64 AD, he writes the book of 1 Timothy. And 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, I am the chief of sinners. In other words, in Paul's life, the closer he grew to the Lord, the more he did for God, the better Christian he became, the lower he moved in his own estimation, the less he thought of himself. And can I tell you today, friend, the closer you grow to God, the less you'll magnify yourself. Because if we really see who God is, we also see who we are, like Isaiah did. Woe is me, he said. So the desire of every growing Christian is to become more like Christ. With this goal in mind, look at what it says in verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Tells us that the mind of Christ is to be the mind of the Christian. The word translated, let this mind be, uh, comes from a word, uh, it's phroneo, which means to be mindful of or to think of. We are to think like Christ thinks. Uh, what is his mindset? Well, to find that, we go to verses 6 through 8. Those well-known verses who, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself no reputation and took on himself the form of a servant. Uh, he was obedient even to the death of the cross. That's the mindset of Christ. Humility. Leaving the splendors of heaven and taking on the form of a servant. 
the humility is freedom from pride, arrogance, humbleness of mind, a modest estimate of one's own worth. The opposite of humility is pride. Now, pride runs deep in our human nature, and it is, it is, it is not easily rooted out if you've ever even tried to work on pride in your own life. Thankfully, God's Word teaches us about humility and pride. It has much to say about it. Proverbs 18.12, Before the destruction, man is haughty, and before honor is humility. The Bible says, Proverbs 22.4, By humility and fear of the Lord are riches in honor and life. Proverbs 11.2, When pride cometh, then cometh shame. Proverbs 16.18, Pride goeth before destruction. Pride is like a small crack in your home's foundation, or in your basement. If it becomes undealt with, it will, or if it continues undealt with, it will grow. I heard a, a dad told his little boy who was, uh, had just started school, and he said to his boy, listen, I don't care if our basement does have a crack in it. Stop telling people you're from a broken home, amen? But if you leave that crack alone, eventually something catastrophic happens, a flooded basement or a rotted foundation, but it all started with a small crack. Pride is like that odorless carbon monoxide. Before you know it, it has you. Pride is the dandelion of the soul. It only needs a little crack, just a little bit, and it'll grow. the roots will grow deep. Its seeds lodge in the tiniest cracks and it flourishes in good soil. The danger of pride is that it feeds on goodness. Accomplishment. Pride puts itself first. Boy, you, can't, you don't have to go any further than Facebook to see a bunch of pride. And uh, other social media, I'm not really part of any uh, things, uh, other things that, I don't even want to know about all the other stuff that goes on, but there's a lot of, uh, it can reveal itself, pride can, and how we post things. It reveals itself in the way we treat others. It reveals itself in our conversation. Yet by the very nature of pride, it's easier to see pride in others than it is to see pride in ourselves. Remember that one lady that came to the preacher. Amen, preacher, that was a wonderful message. I knew exactly who you were talking about. Uh, it's us, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, and standing in the need of prayer. All right? Where, what about me? So uh, when you get caught up noticing all the pride in other people, better check yourself, friend. We need today to listen to God's Word, even this morning, and set aside the thoughts of pride you see in others, specifically focus on your need for humility. James chapter 4, verse 10. The Bible says, Humble others in the sight of the Lord. Actually, it says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. We like the others better, though, don't we? Hey, swallow your pride. Guess what? It's non-fattening. Amen? That's a good thing. Once in a while, we need to swallow our pride. What are the characteristics of a person seeking to walk in humility? Number one, we see a walk of harmony. Verse 1 and 2 is all about uh, having harmony. And uh, disunity, I think you'd agree, uh, today uh, defines our society. Uh, protests, riots, uh, political uncertainty. Discord is what feeds our news media, our cable news, our tabloids. Stirring people up is how they get followers and more views. They call it clickbait. And they uh, do these controversial things so that people will click on the story. 
They're great at keeping strife alive, gossip alive, not so good at giving solutions, but they'll surely keep the story going. Unity, harmony, is vital if we are going to live in the Spirit. It should be prized. It should be sought after. It should be fought for. Uh, when it is lost, it is hard to recover. The Apostle Paul understood this, and he warned the Philippians against disharmony. We'd better realize that even in our church today. Today's blessings do not promise tomorrow's success as a church uh, a church can be blessed for a season, for a while, can be going forward and then fall victim to decline because Satan loves to attack churches. And guess when he likes to attack them most? When they're doing something for God. Amen. So we better be careful. If Satan can't destroy from without, he'll destroy from within. Humility promotes harmony. Humility promotes Harmony, or unity, as it is said in here, to work out the problem. Humility is not interested in assigning blame. Boy, aren't we a blame-happy society today. Blame is a waste of time. No matter how much you blame somebody else, it'll never change you. The only thing blame does is it keeps the focus off of you as you look for external reasons to explain why you're not happy. Uh, blame will make... Uh, might make somebody else feel guilty, but it'll do nothing to succeed, uh, to help you succeed in your life, changing what about you that makes you unhappy. Blame just moves on circular. We love to shift the focus off of ourselves. We love to blame. I read a story about a man who agreed with his friends they were going to go on a vegan diet. An agreement I'll never make, as hopefully. But they were going to go on an all-vegan diet to try to be more healthy, lose some weight. Well, he made it about two days, and he got a craving for meat like you just couldn't imagine. He wanted some, some real food, tired of eating you know, sticks and twigs and toothpicks. He wanted food. And so he goes to another town and goes into a restaurant, and he orders a whole roasted pig. He's going to do, if he's going to do it, he's going to do it right. Amen? A few minutes later, he's surprised to hear his name from across the restaurant. He looks, and lo and behold, it's one of the friends he made this commitment with. And as the friend is walking toward him, the waiter is coming the other direction with a large tray, a pig laid out there, ready for eating, apple in its mouth. The waiter sets the food on the table, the friend has a shock of look on his face, and he says, this restaurant is unbelievable. I order an apple, and look how they deliver it to me. We love to blame. We love to put the focus on someone else. Making excuses has been a part of human nature ever since the Garden of Eden. Tragically, we'll never deal with a problem until we Honestly accept our part in it. This takes humility. But you know what comes from it? Harmony. Harmony. So, in our text, we see two aspects of Christians seeking a walk of harmony. In verse 1 here, we see that it's based on our fellowship with Christ. As Paul begins his uh, plea for humility, he reminds his readers of what they've experienced in Christ. You see, when we remember and remind ourselves what Christ has done for us, it behooves us to do the same for other people. 
He starts out by talking about consolation. If there be any consolation in Christ, this word speaks of encouragement, comfort, refreshment. The word here is also reminding us of what the Holy Spirit does for us. Because in the New Testament, the original word for consolation and the original word for comforter is the same one. John 15, 26. But when the comforter is come, him whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, He shall testify of me. What one of us has not been comforted by the Holy Spirit? I've had the misfortune of doing a funeral for unsaved people as well as saved people. And I can tell you it's an entirely different environment in a funeral for an unsaved person who has no hope and their family has no hope and all they have is grief and anger than you have in a, in a funeral of a saved person. Just recently, it uh, saddens me that more of us couldn't be at Dwayne Cruz's funeral because of the times uh, that we're living in. But uh, it, was a, it was a sad day because we miss our dear brother. But yet, it was a rejoicing. We knew he was home and he didn't have to walk with a walker anymore. Amen. And he could go about and enjoy the splendors and wonders of heaven that he's doing. And so we have a hope and it's different. And part of that is the Holy Spirit comforting us during our sorrow and reminding us of what is to come. If you have been encouraged like that, then we ought to encourage others in the same way. Number two, he says that there be any comfort of love. The word comfort means made for the purpose of calming or consoling. The gospel introduces us to a love that is unknown in the world today. When we experience the gift of salvation, that had its very basis in love. First John, or not First John, but John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The self-sacrificing love of Christ gives us a, an admonition that it shouldn't end there. In fact, Paul tells us in Romans 13.8 that we owe a debt of love to each other. So I'm in debt to Brother John. I owe him love as a brother in Christ. And so we need to understand our responsibility in this. Say, what does love have to do with humility? Everything. Proud people love themselves. Humble people love others. Then he talks about the fellowship of the Spirit. If there be any fellowship of the Spirit, this means communion, intimacy. This is the type of relationship we ought to have with God. Not just a head knowledge, but an intimate relationship with Him. And then uh, what Paul is trying to bring out is that if we have a correct relationship and an intimate relationship this way, then the most natural thing in the world is to have a relationship that's correct this way. Love, he said. Fellowship of the Spirit. And then bowels and mercies. Now, the literal meaning for the word bowels is your abdomen, basically. But figuratively, when the Bible says bowels and mercies, it's talking about strong, compassionate emotions. There's a genuine caring for others' needs. Paul is saying here that we have experienced, listen, we have experienced the love and the fellowship uh, of God. We've been in a local church when we have the same desire to honor the Lord, when we have the same vision moving forward. Paul wanted the Philippians to be like-minded in not only what they thought, but in what they wrought. Look what it says in having the same love. Spiritual unity is about love, not about control. Amen? It's not about rules, not about forcing someone. We're not, and we don't do this at, even at Bible Baptist where we force everyone to think and act the same. It's about the love of God being manifested. Mental agreement won't last long if it doesn't have love. 
And so he talks about having the same love. And then Paul wanted the Philippians to be like-minded in what they sought. He urged them to be of one accord, of one mind. In other words, of one purpose. By the way, the idea behind the word translated into of one accord is soul and soul together. What Paul is talking about here is an absolute harmony of mind, heart, and purpose in the Lord. Nothing less will do. Now here's where it gets difficult. We're different. People are different. Amen? We understand that. I'm normal. Some of you are weird. We're just different like that, okay? Uh, And so we don't always have the same thoughts as one another. Sometimes seeing things the same way will be difficult. A wife is cleaning out her dresser and she found some old film negatives. So curious, she dropped them off to be printed. For those of you that are younger than me, cameras used to have film in them with a limited number of pictures. Amen? You remember those days, older folks? And you, you were a little bit more discerning what pictures you took. That's why you didn't see 10,000 selfies of yourself back in the day. Do you remember those of you who are older when you used to take a picture of your dinner and go to the uh, supermarket, get it, take it, uh, get it printed out, and then go show it to your neighbor? I don't either. All right, We didn't do that kind of stuff. And so... Uh, this, this was a commitment. You have two shots left in your camera. Hey, take a picture of me. No, you aren't worthy. I only have two left. It was a different day. But she went and dropped them off. When she got them back, she was pleasantly surprised to see uh, photos of herself, younger and slimmer. And uh, when it had been taken, the pictures had been taken, as it happened, on their first date with her now husband. She thought, that was really neat. I'm going to surprise him with it. So she makes a nice meal, kind of sets the tone. And then when they sat down to dinner, she shows him the pictures. And his face lit up just like she knew it would. And he says, well, look at that. It's my old Plymouth. We know in marriage we see things differently. Different, we see things differently because we have a different focus. When it comes to areas that matter, though, In the local church and as a Christian, we need to have a same mind of Christ and a humble person will seek to have that mind of Christ. A proud person only seeks to glorify themselves. When any two of us do that, when in humility, two of us seek to have the mind of Christ, guess what happens? We are in sync with one another as well because we're in sync with Him. That's real Christian unity. Now, how do we walk in humility? We seek a walk of harmony separately. We separate from contention. Look at verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Need to make a choice. Choose to separate from contention. How is that done? Well, we refuse strife. We just refuse strife. Let nothing be done in strife, the Bible says. Strife is self-promotion. You know the word that is translated strife? in the original language, literally means electioneering for office. I think that's interesting. That's what causes strife. When I'm promoting myself, I'm putting yard signs in your yard about me. I'm promoting myself. And one who desires to promote him or herself, this is the type of person that will slander, that will backbite, that will gossip, that will talk about other people. James 3.16, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Proverbs 26.20, Where no 
excuse me, where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. Listen, the world does it all the time, but a Christian ought to be different. We ought to have people in the church and people amongst us who edify and build up in the faith. Our mouth ought to be used to edify, not to disparage. Amen. Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Now we understand that corrupt communication is words that come out of our mouth and we can do that by what we say. But there are other ways that we can, I think, biblically have corrupt communication. I think there's lots of ways in this day and age that we can uh, avoid corrupt communication. Have you ever seen or been witness to somebody who inflamed or started an argument or, or uh, did something rude and mean on social media? On a harsh text or an email? Oh yeah, we see it all over. And uh, I think that this is just as much a way we can have evil communication as through our mouth. We need to be careful as children of God. And so, uh, by the way, relational strife simply distracts us from the spiritual battle that we should be a part of. It distracts you. 2 Timothy 2.4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Basically telling us, don't get distracted by the things of the world. Stay in the fight. By the way, the devil loves it when we have arguments and when we get entangled in, into drama with other Christians because when we are sidetracked with strife, we are oblivious to our, our calling as soldiers of God. We aren't in the battle. We're in the middle of strife. Refuse strife. Number two, maintain lowliness of mind. Uh, the Bible talks here about vainglory. Now, strife is self-promotion. Vainglory is a flawed opinion of oneself. This takes place when we're proud. Pride will lie to you about you. Amen? That's what pride will do. I'm speaking to you today in some pain, a little pain. I, I feel bad because I know some of you are going through a lot more than this, but I've got a, a very, very uh, pained lower back today and uh, just been dealing with it uh, and and you know you just you go on but I'm hurting right down here pretty bad the reason is because this week uh, my my bio is an issue with my motorcycle and my pride told my mind you can lift that thing up I've always been able to do it no big deal remember back 10 years ago when you could lift that up you can lift that up go ahead it was just, this all happened in a very split second, you understand. But my pride lied to me about me. Has it ever done that to you? You can do it. So here I go. And you're not supposed to lift like I lifted, but I lifted how I shouldn't have lifted. I know how to do it. Those of you who know, uh, you, you know, you just back up to it, straight back, you lift it behind. You know, you know how to do it. But I didn't do that because my pride told me, you can do it. No big deal. So I pulled my back. I've been hurting ever since. <laughs> You've been there. That's what pride does. It lies to you about you. It tells you you are something you're not. It builds you up. Boy, listen, folks, I can tell you, there's nothing more destructive in a Christian's life than pride. We need to nip it in the bud, not allow pride. The graveyards are full of indispensable men. Galatians 6.3, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, 
he deceiveth himself. D.L. Moody said, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. Pride. God tells us to replace strife and vainglory with a lowliness of mind or a humble opinion of ourselves. Anything that is good that is in me is from Him. Anything, talents or gifts that you have that you think sets you above everybody else, it's all from God anyway. Don't give yourself any credit. Remember where it comes from. And then lift up Him instead of lifting up yourself. After resigning the pastorate to go to another church, a pastor was approached by one of the dear old ladies in the church. And she comes up, she's weeping. She says, things will never be the same after you leave. He tried to console her. He said, don't worry. He said, you'll probably get a better pastor the next time than I was. And she sobbed out the words, that's what the last three have said, but they just keep getting worse and worse. Don't you love when God puts people in your life to keep you humble? But let me tell you where the best place to get humility is. At the foot of the cross. That's the best place we can go because at Calvary, at the foot of Calvary, we can get perspective. It's, good, it's a good place for us to visit, for us to realize who we are and who Christ is. That we're nothing but sinners saved by grace. We don't deserve anything. At Calvary is where we see the foolishness of strife and contention and holding grudges. At Calvary we learn that if God is able to forgive all of my sin and He's able to take that away from me, how then can I not forgive the sin of my brother or my sister? It gives us perspective. Ephesians 4.32, Bible says, Be kind. Uh, to one another, tender heart of forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You want to be like Christ, be lowly. You want to be like, have a mind like Christ, have a mind of humility. Stop being so full of yourself. Stop promoting yourself on social media. Stop always making it about you. Abraham Lincoln said, what kills the skunk is the publicity it gives itself. Amen? It'll kill you too. It will, spiritually. We better be careful. And then it says, esteem others better. Let us esteem other better than ourselves. Christianity begins with humility. Can I tell you that? If you are a child of God today, that began with humility. You had to come to a point in your life that you said, I cannot save myself. My, my life is not good enough. My good works aren't enough. I can do nothing of myself, and so I must bow my knees before Christ who has done it all. That takes humility. It is the person in pride that will not bend their knee that says, I can go to heaven on my own. It'll be me that gets me there. It's my works. It's everything that I'm doing that'll get me. That's pride. It takes humility just to accept the gift of salvation. And today, friend, if you've never humbled yourself before God, heaven is not in your future. You must humble yourself for salvation. Only the humble can be saved. And then after we evaluate ourselves correctly, there needs to be a new valuation of others. And here it is. Esteem other better than themselves. Ooh, that's hard. That's unnatural. Totally unnatural. Say, preacher, how do you know it's unnatural? I, I wouldn't tell you to go to war. I wouldn't send you to Afghanistan. So I won't tell you to go work in the nursery. 
But if you want to see it sometime, look through the window maybe. Kids don't naturally esteem other better than themselves. Amen? I had uh, eight children. We childproofed our home when they were young and they still kept coming. I just I had a lot of kids. And, uh, but we saw early on that kids don't naturally esteem one another better than, hey, guess what? Neither do adults. Neither does anybody. It's not natural for us to do that. But here's the Bible tells us to do that. Putting others before self. I read this week about the me third principle. Oh, we live in the me first world most of the time, but the Bible promotes the me third principle. You have Jesus Christ first, others second, me third. The me third principle. You ought to try to live your life in the me third principle. To seek your own advancement is worldly. To seek the advancement of others is divine. Listen, those who can grasp that concept have such a larger view of life. Seeking your own desires, it leads to narrowness, selfishness, smallness. For example, Lot, very quickly, remember in the Old Testament, Lot chose the well-watered plains for himself. It was a selfish decision, especially in light of the man who had done so much for him. Basically, he told Abraham, you go take the rocks, I'll take these well-watered plains. God, through the corridors of time, could see forward the burning embers and the tar of that green valley now. He saw what would happen to Sodom and Gomorrah, but Lot wasn't making a decision for Christ. He was making a decision for himself. And we know how that ended up. What about Abraham? Did it hurt Abraham? Not at all. The Bible says uh, that God came to him in Genesis 13, 14 after Lot had taken the best of the land. And here's what he said. Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art. Northward and southward and eastward and westward. I know I'm homeschooled, but I think that's every direction. Amen? For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it. Friend, don't sacrifice God's best for you by demanding your best. Because your best, what you think is your best, or what's best for you, is nothing compared to what God has for you. Seek a walk of harmony. Separate from contention. Then, in closing, serve others in need. Chapter 2, verse 4. The Bible says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Hours before Christ was crucified. Just hours. There was a, they had supper one more last time. Uh, with the, with the uh, disciples there, and you know the, the uh, story of what happened that evening. Interestingly enough, on Jesus' last night on earth, while he is facing the cross, the disciples are arguing about which one of them is the greatest. Imagine that. Just like people, aren't they? Who's the greatest? I'm the greatest. No, I'm the I weren't using those words, I'm sure, because we're more sophisticated when we argue stuff like that. But they were talking about who's the greatest. And you remember what Jesus did. He took a towel and he washed the feet of all the disciples to demonstrate that the greatest person is not about who has the highest position. The greatest person is the one who's the servant. And he showed us in that, in that uh, evening, he said in Matthew 23, 11, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. We tend to think in our minds that the person who's greatest is the one who sits on a throne, the one who is uh, holding the scepter, the one who has the most authority. Jesus said that the posture of greatness is the posture of a servant as he washed the feet of the disciples. Serving others. God sees greatness in being a servant. We've already talked about love. Guess what? Service is love and overalls. Service is just doing what 
uh, acting on that love. We're told here to have an unselfish look. Look not every man on his own things. All of us have problems, don't we? All of, if you're here today and say, Preacher, I don't have any problems. See me after. i got some I'd like to share with you, okay? I'm just that type of friend. All of us have problems. But our humility, it allows us to learn to lean on God, to cast our cares upon Him. Then as we deal with the matter in our own lives, we can also focus on the needs of others. That's why the Bible says here, look, every man also on the things of others. There's a twofold action here. We keep tabs on ourselves, and then we also look for opportunities to meet the needs of others. It's an unselfish look. It's also an outward look. But let every man, uh, but every man also on the things of others. When you are walking in your in, in humility, if you're trying your best to be humble before God, your focus is on serving others. You've looked. You've learned to look beyond yourself. That's what humble people do. Let me ask you today, of those three words, are you happy, humble, do you live in harmony? Here's, here's the problem. If you've got those three words in your mind, you have happy, humble, harmony. We are attempting to get the ones on the outside. We want to be happy. We want to have harmony. We're not so much concerned or going after the one in the middle. But can I tell you that the one in the middle is what brings the ones on the outside into a possibility? You're not going to be happy if you're not humble. You're not going to have harmony if you're not humble. Humility is the key. Paul talks about it here. He talks about harmony. He talks, and we're in, a, we're in the book that talks about joy. But you're not going to have joy. You're not going to have harmony in your life if you're filled with pride. And then he points to our Savior who had the right of more than any of us to be proud. But he humbled himself. He took on himself the form of a servant. And he gave his own life for each and every one of us. How in the wide world can we be filled with ourselves? Humble, happy, harmony. If you want happy, if you want harmony, you're going to have to have humility. Let's every head bowed, every eye closed. The piano's come forward. She's going to play in just a moment. But I just, I don't know how the Lord has spoken to your heart today. But won't you respond this morning? Humility. Every one of us, every single one of us, probably to some extent, deal with the matter of pride. Those who are, uh, think they don't have the problem themselves right there. If you're here today, I mean it, friend. I'm not trying to be mean, but if you say, hey, preacher, I don't have a problem with pride, that's pride in itself. All of us have a long ways to go in the area of pride. Would you stand along with me and as she begins to play?